This week at our house, um, my youngest child started school, my middle child drove back to Waco, and my oldest child is getting ready to depart for Pennsylvania. It's time for school to start, isn't it? (laughs) So uh, we have our Sunday school kids that have just come in, and I'm going to let you guys come across here, across the front of the altar, and I'm going to ask any of you who are teachers or administrators or students, if you would stand then we're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you as school begins. You can come all the way over here. Yeah, you'll just spread out. Daryl has his backpack. That's good. (laughs) Ryan has his backpack. Ryan is taking classes. Yeah, Ryan's going to school. (laughs) All right, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I bless you and I thank you for these children. And I ask that as the school year begins, you would bless them with friendship and you would bless them with fun and you would bless them with new opportunities to learn new things. I bless and thank you, Lord, for teachers, administrators, counselors, school nurses, all those who care for students. Would you care for them in this time of uncertainty? Would your great compassion flow through them? And uh, Lord, would would you also grant them extra strength this year? Finally, Lord, I thank you for backpacks. So often our backpacks carry the things that we need. So Lord, would you remind us that your compassion is always available to us? that your great love is always available to us. Open our eyes that we might see the new things and learn the new things you are doing in our world. We ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. You guys have a great year. It's exciting. School is starting. (laughs) Ryan has a backpack tag for you if you don't have it. Oh, one more. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Oh, we need another tag over here. And if if you're an adult or a student that's in this service, these backpack tags are staying up here on the altar, so you can grab one after the service. They're for all of us. We are still in a sermon series on First uh, and Second Samuel, and we're getting into First Kings today, calling this sermon series The Crown because we are talking about the royal families of Israel, and today we're going to talk about King Solomon and the concept of wisdom. I have uh, enjoyed taking my kids to the doctor each year for their annual checkups, Uh, Because my pediatrician has an interest in the development of their character, not just their physical development. He wants them to be good people, which I really appreciate. At some point during the visit, during their annual checkup, he will engage them in a conversation about life principles, and I just get to listen in, which is great. With each of my kids, when they were older, My doctor, our doctor, introduced what he calls the Solomon Principle to them. 
And the conversation goes like this. I've done it three times, so I know how the conversation's going to go. Dr. Fitch says, God gave King Solomon the opportunity to have whatever he wanted in all of the world. And King Solomon chose, do you know, it starts with a W. And the pastor's kid says nothing, stares blankly back at the doctor. (laughs) Or one time responded with the word wealth. Wealth starts with a W. Man, my own children can't come up with the word wisdom. (laughs) It's our scripture passage today. It's 1 Kings chapter 3, and it begins with verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king of Gibeon, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches Or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week, hidden in the back of my refrigerator, I found a a deli pack of Swiss cheese. It had been hiding out all summer long, sliced in May, And so this week in August, it was covered with green, fuzzy mold. I pinched the very tiniest corner of the package to pick it up, and then I deposited it directly into the trash. Cheese has a definite shelf life, even in the refrigerator. So does a wise king, even in Israel. The story of King Solomon's Solomon tells us that we cannot be once wise, always wise. Instead, we have to practice wisdom. There's no guarantee that a wise person today will be wise tomorrow. This is actually the reason that I love school. 
I love school for children and I love school for adults because school done well is about more than just a dump of information. School teaches us to be good thinkers. It puts us on the path to wisdom. It's not so much what we learn, but it's that we become open to learning, open to understanding. So we get more and more learning and more and more understanding. The scripture passage that I read says that Solomon asked God to give him an understanding mind. That's in verse 9 of chapter 3. But a better way to express what the original text, what the Hebrew says, is probably not an understanding mind, but it is a hearing heart, a hearing or a listening heart. For the Hebrew, the heart was the place of judgment. It was the place of understanding. And so this image of a hearing heart makes a lot of sense to me concerning the concept of wisdom. As I have experienced wisdom, it resonates. It resonates. It feels right when it shows up. It requires a hearing heart. And there most certainly is an aspect of wisdom that patiently listens, that waits, and makes a decision not because it's what the rules say, not because it's the way that we've always done things around here, but wisdom makes a decision based on inspiration. Dare I say it's the very presence of the Spirit of God. In her book, Inspired, Rachel Held Evans said that she had a college professor who asked the entire class to read the book of Proverbs. So it was an assignment. Everyone read the book of Proverbs. And when, while you're reading, take a pen and circle every time that the book of Proverbs says the word path or the word way. And the point being in the class was that wisdom isn't a set of rules. It's not hitting the bullseye of God's will. But wisdom is instead of way of life. It's a path. It's a journey of humility and faithfulness that we walk together. Wisdom is a journey of faithfulness and humility that we walk together. I think that was the point that Suzanne Stabile was making in our video earlier. She said that we need to make space for difference until we discover the path that we can walk together. The path that we can walk together is the wise path. The wise path is never my way alone or your way alone. But the wise path is our path. I've been listening, listening most recently to a podcast that I can't get enough of. I've been listening to it every day this week. It's called Dolly Parton's America. <laughs> the secular saint, Dolly Parton, right? Where Jad Abumrad interviews Dolly Parton and the people who love her. Here's what is asserted in every episode of Dolly Parton's America. A diverse group of people love her. People who would not ordinarily get along stand next to one another at her concerts or at her theme park, and they sing her songs together. The most extraordinary 
testimony I've heard so far is from a former freedom fighter in South Africa during apartheid. His name is Tokyo Seswali. Tokyo was arrested and sent to Robben Island, and he was put in a cell right next to Nelson Mandela. On Robben Island, you probably know, the prisoners were tortured. They were beaten. But Tokyo said that after many, many years, the guards allowed Mandela to start choosing songs to play over the loudspeaker. When he was asked on this podcast, what would he pick? What did Nelson Mandela play over the loudspeakers? What's something that you remember hearing? He said he liked Dolly Parton. In South Africa, can you believe it? He liked Dolly Parton and he especially liked the song Jolene. <laughs> And then Tokyo said, the thing about the song Jolene is it's a song about fear. It's a song about the fear of losing everything that's important to you. And so the prisoners could feel the power of this song because they had lost their freedom. And the guards could feel it because their country was changing and they were losing their power. Then in the interview, Tokyo said, we are all human the jailed and the jailer, and we all don't want to hurt. King Solomon was at one time known for his wisdom. Chapter 10 of 1 Kings tells the story of the Queen of Sheba coming to Jerusalem with all her hard questions, with all her riddles, and there was no question that was not answered. There was nothing that the queen put forward that was too difficult. Solomon's wisdom, and the text also says his extravagant wealth, his wisdom and his extravagant wealth took her breath away. But Solomon's wisdom was not foolproof. You know, maybe he compartmentalized it, only practicing wisdom when he was on the throne. Or maybe he got lazy, or maybe he stopped having conversations. It's hard to know. First Kings tells us that Solomon married many foreign women and that his wives turned his heart toward other gods. He built altars for those other gods and the king turned his own attention toward them. Solomon was known for his building projects. He not only built altars for other gods, but he built the Jerusalem temple. Solomon built his own palace. He built the walls around Jerusalem. And scripture says that Solomon built whatever he wanted to build. He built whatever he wanted to build in Jerusalem and in the surrounding territory. But here's the catch. Here's what you should highlight in your Bible, in the chapters on King Solomon, he built with forced labor. Solomon built all these projects with slaves. This is what the Bible says about Solomon's construction projects. There were still people left from the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These people were not Israelites. 
And Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land to whom the Israelites could not exterminate to serve as slave labor. Under Solomon's leadership, this nation of freed slaves enslaves the countries around them, the people that they don't exterminate. This is not good. This is not wise. Biblical wisdom values life and freedom, not death and enslavement. The very first verse of chapter 3, immediately before the passage that I read to you, an alliance is made with a very powerful adversary, a mighty nation. King Solomon makes an alliance with, it starts with an E, Egypt. And he marries, he marries a nameless Pharaoh's daughter. Seriously? I smell a rat. You know, it was surprising to me to learn this week that Bible teachers and seminary scholars agree on one thing about King Solomon. They don't like him. You want to see somebody squirm? Ask Pastor Ryan what he thinks about King Solomon. The thing about Solomon is that as his story unfolds, his wisdom becomes increasingly compromised. So much so that at the end of the story of Solomon, he looks an awful lot like Pharaoh. The distaste for Solomon is so prevalent that many suggest that the chapter that I read to you from the Bible... 1 Kings chapter 3 is propaganda. And it aggrandizes King Solomon. Did you hear these words? God says to the king in a dream, No one like you has been before and no one like you will arise after. No other king can compare to you, God says to King Solomon. If you keep my commandments as your father David, I will lengthen your life. Has your father David kept the commandments? I don't know. This just sounds like too much endorsement to me. It sounds too good to be true. You know, I believe, I know that it's true that the Bible is a library of many different kinds of literature, that there are stories, there's narrative in there, there's poetry, there are epistles, letters, history, prophecies, and God speaks through all of it. But propaganda? <laughs> yeah. I've learned this week that God can even instruct through propaganda. There's a famous story of Solomon's wisdom that immediately follows this prayer dream. Two women bring a baby to the king, and each claims that the baby belongs to them. Solomon calls for a sword. He says, cut the living boy in two and give half to each woman. Immediately, one of the women says, give her the living baby. Give the baby to her. Don't kill him. And the second mother says, cut the baby in two. The 
king says, give the living baby to the first woman. That's his mother. His mother is the one with compassion. Here, Solomon does offer a third way. There are these two diametrically opposed assertions of the baby is mine. And it prompts Solomon to this third way of, well, then cut the baby in two. Which then does reveal the true mother. She's identified by her compassion. But I wondered this week about cut the baby in two? Really? That's the wisdom? You know, some suggest that cut the baby too is in fact foreshadowing in the Bible because God will cut the kingdom of Israel in two at the end of Solomon's reign. Solomon is really quick to wield that sword. But I suspect that shouldn't surprise us. The prophet Nathan told King David, because you have taken the wife of Uriah, The wife of Uriah is Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Because you have taken the wife of Uriah, the sword will never depart from your house. There's a better way. There's a better way than the sword, a way that reveals truth, a way that always shows up when wisdom is present. And that's the way of compassion. Compassion is the way of the true mother. It's the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Solomon with all his glory couldn't get to God's kingdom with his own stuff, with his own achievements, with his own decoration, with his wisdom. Solomon couldn't get there. He couldn't grab his hand, couldn't put his hands on the kingdom of God. Neither can we. Instead, God gives to us the kingdom of God. In dreams that are too good to be true, God shows up and God speaks and God graciously showers gifts on every single one of us, even wisdom, if we want it. Because the thing about God is God has compassion. I wonder if this morning you might pray with me the Lord's Prayer. It seems especially fitting this day. Let's pray together the prayer our Lord and Savior taught his disciples. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.